I'll never forget my first experience of a typical Catholic young adult ministry. I found myself in an ugly church basement with fluorescent lighting, sitting in a very rickety plastic chair around a white plastic table, staring at an eclectic group of strangers, all of us kind of asking ourselves the same questions. Why are we here? Does everyone else know everyone else? Why are we in a basement? Is this the best the church can offer? Why am I eating pizza with lukewarm Mountain Dew? This feels an awful lot like a continuation of youth group. And ultimately, the big question that was sitting on my heart was, who's leading this thing? You know, the the church is facing a crisis right now. Uh, Pope Benedict actually called it a crisis of discipleship. And uh, you can see it most clearly in my generation. I'm not going to read for you the statistics upon statistics upon statistics that demonstrate that my generation basically, let's just say 35 and under is, is falling off the cliff. It's not even like we're like losing them. We've basically lost them. And, uh, you know, you can, you can talk about how we're allergic to commitment, right? And that we're incredibly cynical of leadership and incredibly relativistic about truth. And all those things are very true. But ultimately, my generation, just like every generation before us, is asking three big questions. Who am I? Where do I belong? And what's my purpose? And the really tragic thing is not that we're asking the questions. And it's not even so much that we're not finding the answers. Is It's that the church has the best answers to those three questions. And we, most of us, especially those who have left the church, have looked at it and said, looked at the church and said, yeah, not very compelling. Yeah, you know what? That doesn't really apply to me. And so what you see, and I've, I've gone all over the country talking to pastors and young adult leaders and trying to figure out what's going on with all this. And what's interesting is almost every parish I've ever talked to has young adult ministry or young adults as a top five pastoral priority. They say they want to reach this age group. But then when you look at their finances, their personnel, the space, I think the basement, right? When you think about those things, it doesn't really reflect that at all. The other thing I hear over and over and over again, and I want you to think about this for a second. What do you think is the number one answer when I ask a young adult, what's most missing in your life or what's lacking? What do you think the number one answer is? It's not even close. Over and over and over again, I hear community. Community. Which is incredibly ironic when you think about social media and all the connections we have. I have thousands of friends on Facebook. There's in which most of us aren't even really using Facebook anymore, but let's be honest, there's all sorts of digital connections all over the place. And yet my generation is lonely, alone, depressed, scared, trying to figure out it all out on our own, looking for a tribe. We're looking for a people. We're looking for a purpose. We're looking for a mission, which is one of the reasons why CrossFit is so popular and things like this. If you come into a CrossFit, you might be out of shape. It doesn't matter. They say, you want to be a part of this family? We're going to teach you how to be in shape, but we're going to bring you into us. We're going to teach you what it means to be us. When you think about divorces and the the breakdown of kind of extended family units and this whole idea that the nuclear family is sufficient for, uh, for someone to grow and flourish, it's no wonder that when we go through life, we're just dying for a people. We're dying for a people to, to run with, and we're not finding it in the church. What I experienced in that ugly church basement on that cold Thursday night 
was what I now call the young adult ministry death cycle. And there's two ways that I describe this death cycle. The first is this, and it it ties into the thing I just made about community, the point I just made. What we do in the churches who are, you know, we want to reach young adults and we want to help them build community. So what do we do? We put on events for them. And usually it's something like Bible and brew or coffee and catechism or some other alliterative form of ministry effort, right? And we say, well, if we gather them all together, then it will produce the people we want. But then the people we want, we're probably just going to have them be volunteers to put on that program or that event again. And listen, I'm, I'm the director of a program. I have nothing against programs, right? And events have some fruitfulness. I'm not standing up here railing against those things. But we're kidding ourselves if we think events and programs will actually produce community and events and programs will sustain mission. It's the other way around. What we do is we take programs and have people serve them as opposed to programs serving people. So that's one way it manifests itself. Second way is something like this. So uh, somebody graduates from a good Catholic university or comes from a good campus ministry and they come into the parish and they say, Father, I want to do something for young adult ministry. And Father, who's got a thousand things on his plate, just does the rubber stamp. Boom, go for it. You have my blessing, son, right? And they go off and they're, uh, you know, they're a winning personality. So the first year of this young adult ministry is really exciting. They're gathering people together and it's, it's taking off. Then the second year starts to plateau when they kind of run out of ideas and other wonderful things start to happen in their life. Like they get married or have a baby or, you know, or God forbid they get a new job and they have to move away. And what happens is the community starts to live in fear of good things happening to their leaders, which is just totally disastrous mindset, right? So first year is really exciting. Second year plateaus, 30 years of steady decline towards death when all of a sudden there's no more leadership. The, The leaders who were there are kind of burned out and nobody's there to replace them. You also see this with associate pastors, right? Young associate pastor comes into the parish. You're young. Take care of the young people. So they do. And they, they gather people around, people around and it's, it's fantastic. First year is exciting. Second year plateaus when that associate realizes I'm going to be reassigned here pretty soon. And then third year is a steady decline towards death. So what you see over and over again is this perpetuation of we want to do something for young adults. We know it's important. We know it's important for our future, but it's not working. It's not working. And here's a little clue, or better yet, an analogy to describe this one more way. What we often do with young adult ministry is we paint a target of where we want to go, and then we produce all these arrows to hit the target. And I'll just make it personal, right? So with my ministry, what we're very good at is painting the target, intentional discipleship. And then for most of our history, what we did with our parish partnerships is we'd give them arrows to hit the target. We'd say, okay, small groups and, and monthly meetings and some leadership formation and content, content, content. We just had more content. And then we stand back and we say, now hit the target. And praise God, wouldn't you know it, sometimes they do. And it's fruitful and it's sustaining and it's it's repeatable. But if I'm being honest, most of the time the arrows go everywhere. And every time we miss the target, what do you think we did? We analyzed the arrow. Oh, it was just a little straighter. If we had just a little better fletching here, if we just had one more Scott Hahn book, then we'd know what we could do, right? <laughs> and what it's finally kind of got through my thick skull is it's not so much about the arrows. The target's important, but it's not so much about the arrows. It's about the archer. We need to invest in the archers because a good archer can take a bad arrow and still hit the target. And a good archer can take a perfect arrow and really hit the target, right? 
John Paul II gives us a little clue as to what might be missing in young adult ministry from Christopher Lecce, section 32. Communion and mission are profoundly connected with each other. They interpenetrate and mutually imply each other. So the rest of this talk, anytime you hear communion, think mission. And anytime you hear mission, think communion. He says to the point that communion represents both the source and the fruit of mission. Communion actually gives birth to mission. And then the fruit of mission is more communion. He goes on. Communion gives rise to mission and mission is accomplished in more communion. Out of our life together, we are sent to what end? To bring people back into that life. It occurred to me the other day that Jesus was the original young adult minister. By the definition of the USCCB, he was a young adult, 18 to 39, right? And the vast majority of the people he was ministering to were young adults. So it occurred to me like, if he's the original young adult minister, let's pay attention to what he did to reach young adults. And ultimately, in my opinion, what Jesus was all about was reproducing himself in his followers. You know, my, my favorite definition of a disciple is living as Jesus would live if he were you. Living as Jesus would live if he were you. What you see throughout the Gospels is Jesus certainly had big moments, right? He had events, Sermon on the Mount, right? I don't know if he had a program, but he, I mean, he was the second person of the Trinity, so probably didn't need a program. And he was doing okay on that. But what you see time and time again is that he, he calls 12. He identifies even three within the 12 to invest in in a deeper way. He commissions dozens at different points. He's got the 70 and then, you know, at the Great Commission, we don't know exactly how many, but he sends them out. But what he's constantly doing is he's teaching them. He's showing them what a life looks like to be a spirit-filled leader. He's producing his DNA in his followers. And ultimately, that's what a disciple is. You're trying to model your life after the master. There was an old Hebrew um, blessing that said, may you be covered in the dust of your master. You know, back in the day, that meant literally in some ways that you'd follow after master and the, the dust that was kicked up from his trail would cover you. But what they're really saying is who your master is, let that become you. A disciple of Jesus is preoccupied with developing his character and his competency, who he is, his virtue and his holiness, and then doing the things he does. Healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, raising the dead, proclaiming uh, uh, liberty to captives. And what you see in these disciples is that Jesus is investing in them. He's walking with them. He's demonstrating. Sometimes he sends them out. Sometimes he brings them back. But he's, he's just pouring into these followers. But what's really interesting is that at the Great Commission, when he gives them their mission statement, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, he gives them their compelling why. He, sa- he stops. He says, not yet. Wait, go into the city until you receive power from on high, and then you'll be my witnesses, right? So what do they do? They do what they're told. They're good disciples. They go into the city and they wait and they pray. And every homily I've ever heard about Pentecost always says the same thing, that they were cowering in the upper room. Well, read Acts the Apostles, says nothing about their mental state. They were just waiting and they were praying. I'm sure some of them, the type A personalities, were taking stock of their resources. Do we have any money? No. Do we have any resources? No. Do we have any political influence? No. Do we have any churches? No. Do we have any seminaries? What's the seminary? I don't know. I just thought I'd list it, right? No. 
They had nothing. They had the beginnings of the sacraments. They had each other, but they had the DNA of Jesus lying dormant within them. And then what happens? They're praying. They're open. And Pentecost happens. And a bomb goes off in that room. And they are launched out of that upper room. And quite literally, the world has never been the same. My favorite character in the Bible, other than Jesus and Mary, for obvious reasons, is Peter. I love Peter because Peter's us, isn't he? He's up, he's down, he's all around one minute. He's brilliant. You're Christ, the son of the living God. Like three verses later, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You know, it's like, whoa, that's a dip. You know, he's walking on water, then he's sinking, then he's walking on water again. Peter sees the transfiguration is like, let's build tents. Jesus is like, well, you know, we, we got work to do. Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. And then Jesus is like, I have to wash your feet. He's like, well, then wash everything, you know? He denies him three times. He says he loves him three times. He's just like all over the place. So refreshing. So hopeful for me. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, steps out of that upper room in his new office with his other apostles and delivers the mission statement of the church. He delivers the mail. All of a sudden, he's not confused. He's not wondering. He's not concerned. He's not scared. He's not anxious. He is standing on his two feet with his brothers and sisters and saying, this is what it's all about. He reads the signs of the times. He says, we're not drunk. This is what this was foretold. And it culminates with something that I pray would happen over and over and over again in my life. It culminates with this. Peter says, let the whole house of Israel know assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus Christ is Lord. That was true then, and that is true today. And the thing in some ways that my generation most needs is to come into that knowledge that Jesus is the Lord. He's in charge. He's all-powerful, and he's the anointed one. He's holy, and his holiness can be ours if we accept his lordship. And Peter delivers this with with conviction. And the crowd responds exactly how we should all long for young adults to respond. It says they were cut to the heart. And it says, brothers, what should we do? Wouldn't it be amazing if by our actions and our words, we led the young adults in our lives to places where they looked at us and say, what should we do? And Peter, of course, then says, register for your parish. (laughs) No. (laughs) He says, give 10%. No, he doesn't say that. What does Peter say? And this needs to be our rallying cry as well. When we lead people to an encounter with Jesus's lordship and his majesty and his power and his holiness, and people say, what should we do? This is what we need to say, even to young adults who don't want to hear it. Even to young adults who are all over the place, even to young adults that we might, I don't know where they're at. If they ask us what we should do, this is the response. Peter looks at them in the eye and says, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you too shall receive this Holy Spirit. And it works. Thousands are added that day. And then what's interesting is you have these spiritual leaders that are launched out of the upper room on mission. And what does it lead to? It leads to Acts 2.42, where it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. Community. Jesus left behind spiritual leaders who were sent on mission, and they built community. 
The church does not have a death cycle. The church will not get caught in a death cycle because what Jesus did is he established an everlasting presence on the earth through a line of spirit filled leaders. And we have the great joy and the opportunity to participate in that. Unfortunately though, young adults are and young adult ministry are caught in a death cycle right now. And the solution is not just to do more, not just to produce more, not just to kind of say, Oh gosh, I hope it works. Our solution is to step into our life as spirit filled leaders to go on mission and believe that community will be built out from that. Friends, the world desperately, desperately needs disciples and disciples need spirit filled leaders. Thank you very much. Thank you.